Hi, this is Ben Lowell of Back to the Bible Canada. Today we're introducing a very special one-week series featuring Dr. John Newfeld interviewing a number of pastors and theologians ministering in Canada. These are great discussions focusing on critical topics, engaging our minds on the importance of the Christmas season. So we're going to begin today with Christmas Conversations, a special interview series with special guest pastor Jeff Bucknam, and we'll be discussing Jesus' fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So let's go back to the Bible now with Dr. John Newfeld. Hi, it's Dr. John Newfeld here, and it's just a delight to have with me today in our Christmas Conversations, Pastor Jeff Bucknam. And Pastor Jeff, what a joy it is to have you here in the studio. Welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. We're going to talk about a number of things, but before we do that, let's have people get to know you. Uh, Pastor Jeff, tell us when you came to know the Lord. Oh, that would have been quite a few years ago. I grew up in a nominal Christian home, a Presbyterian, but more liberal kind of Presbyterian home. Our family really wasn't committed to going to church at all. We did it every once in a while, and I remember going to Sunday school, but that's basically it. I came to faith in Christ through a Christian camp, actually, but it was at an early age, but we wouldn't go back to church ever. And so my, my life as an early Christian was going to camp every summer and kind of getting that, you know, refueled for a week and then going away for a year and doing what I wanted and coming back to camp. It was only until somebody, a dear friend, took me under his wing and discipled me that I ever really started following Christ with any kind of vigor. So you've been now the lead pastor at Northview Church here in Abbotsford. Yeah. And uh, how long is that? Seven years? Seven years as the lead pastor, yeah, nine total. Well, again, welcome here. We're going to talk about some of the Old Testament background uh, to the Christmas story. So we want to talk about Christmas. And uh, let me say a couple of things just to get us ready for this. Uh, first of all, we all know the hymn, Charles Wesley's hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Galatians 4.4 4 says, when the fullness of time had come. Matthew consistently speaks about this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, the name. And so all of these are kind of connecting the Christmas account to the Old Testament background. But Pastor Jeff, when people read the Old Testament, they don't actually find Jesus there, or do they? Well, it's interesting. I mean, the New Testament writers, when they look back across the Old Testament, it's almost like they're looking for Jesus there. Uh, and they find him at every turn, right? You cite Matthew. I mean, he's repeatedly talking about how the fulfillment comes. And it's it, almost in places in passages that you don't expect it, which has led a lot of theologians to use language like uh, we use a Christological hermeneutic, which right. is just a long way of saying that we read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. We see him fulfilling all sorts of things. And so Genesis 3, where the... Yeah, let's talk about some of the places where you would read the Bible and you would find Jesus. So you would begin to find him in Genesis 3. I would, absolutely. I mean, I'd find the Trinity with the us statements in Genesis. Chapter 1. Yeah, but I mean, we, when you read those verses, it says, that, let us go down and God says, let us do this, let us do that. If you read that according to the original audience, they're not really sure what to make of that. But in light of further revelation, we recognize that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working together, and there might be a, a heavenly assembly with them. And so the us makes up this large group who are acting in this way. And so I would see Jesus in those places, right, working together with the Father. Yeah, very good. Now, let's talk about Genesis 3, because you said that you see him there. Where would you find him in Genesis 3? Well, the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, I would find it there. And you find language to that effect. So help our readers who don't know what that might mean. And what does this mean, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent? 
Well, the seed of the woman is ultimately Christ, and uh, he will crush the head of the serpent who was filled by Satan at the time. And so I would see it as as an early prophecy and a statement saying that even though Satan had deceived the woman in the garden and led her to fall, and that effect came through to to the entirety of the human race, there's a promise there to the woman, even in the curse. God is going to not just let this sit. He's going to solve the problem ultimately. So Adam and Eve have fallen, and in the midst of the fallout of their fall. Yeah, you have this beautiful song of grace, yeah. I would say. Yeah. But I would, I would only be doing that, reading that retrospectively. I would only be doing that because I can see the more fuller revelation coming in the New Testament, and I can see the flower in its full bloom, so I can look back at the seeds now, and I can say, oh, look, Jesus is here, Jesus is there. Well, do you encourage people as a pastor when they read through their Old Testament? If I'm one of your people that say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I've just been reading the 22nd chapter of Genesis, and there I find the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac on an altar. Are you encouraging me to look to the cross at that moment? I'm encouraging you to, to do two things. One, to understand the text the way it was originally written. Like, I'm, we're always looking for the intent of the original author when we're doing our Bible study, um, which I think will will steer us clear of a lot of false teaching today. So we just got that clear. But I'm also saying that because Christ has come and because he has been the fulfillment of all the promises of all the Bible, that I take Jesus now and I, I look for him in the Old Testament, that every passage can speak his name. Oh, that's and so this passage that you're pointing at in Genesis 22, Abram brings his son up on the mountain and you have basically a sacrifice about to happen, but a substitution takes place and there's a ram caught in the thicket. I mean, the language there is is rich with symbolism and beauty that finds its fulfillment in Christ ultimately. So yes, absolutely, I would find it in Genesis 22. And all throughout the Psalms, you see language, especially that the biblical writers will pick up and they'll say, you know, Psalm 2 is picked up in the New Testament, Psalm 22 is picked up in the New Testament, all these different places where Jesus, you know, consciously fulfills these promises, even if they're not necessarily seen as promises, right? we get to see it with, a, with new eyes. I don't know, you see movies sometimes, you know, you know, I remember movies where there's a twist at the end. And when you see the movie the first time, you're like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You see the twist and you're like, oh, but then you see it the second time with your friends and the whole time you're having a hard time not telling them how everything that precedes the twist makes more sense now because you know the twist is coming. So when you think about what are those significant moments that really point us to the coming of Christ from the Old Testament? Yeah, you know, a few years ago, we did a series uh, out, of, out of the lectionary that uh, most of the passages are on Isaiah, uh, and, they, and they point to, to Christ in several ways. And they're picked up. You know, Luke picks them up, and uh, Matthew picks them up, and he'll cite them in several places. You know, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government be on its shoulders. These, these sorts of passages, which are in Isaiah which interestingly uh, had probably an initial fulfillment in their moment, but Can the you Holy talk Spirit, about that? What are the, what's that initial fulfillment? And then there's a long-term fulfillment. Well, right? the initial fulfillment has to do with kings and people in those particular settings, right? And they fulfill that. So the words had meaning for the audiences of that day. They weren't just talking about Jesus long-term. So there have been scholars who come along and said, oh, this is just talking about this particular king in this particular time. But then the New Testament writers pick it up and they'll say, well, actually, uh, yes, it was talking about that then, but there is a far fulfillment as well. And ultimately, they point to Jesus through those. 
uh, and, and see actually the f- more fuller fulfillment in, in Christ. And so that's what a lot of the Gospels are about when they talk about these things and the, about the birth narratives of Christ and sorts of things. Now, when we bring the Old Testament into the uh, Christmas account, does it make it richer? What does it add to Christmas to do that? Why don't we just tell the story of Jesus and, and what is all this? Old well, Testament I think about? you know. I think you are telling the story of Jesus by telling some of the Old Testament uh-huh. pieces, as you said, "Come long expected Jesus." God had this plan from eternity past, and so just because you see the fulfillment and the glorious flower bloom in the coming of Christ and the incarnation doesn't mean that there weren't seeds of it years prior. I mean, there's huge significance to these sorts of things in the sense that it gives you a lot of confidence in the scriptures. It makes you recognize that the Bible was, uh, even though penned by many different authors, it was inspired by one Holy Spirit. And so as a result, I can go to the Bible and I can trust it. I can trust that what it tells me about my now, see, because today we live in a moment now, and we've been promised certain things for the future. We can look back at God's track record and say, well, God promised things long ago that came to their fulfillment in Christ. And so I, I can have a lot of confidence that this same God is going to accomplish what he promised. So if I look forward to the second coming of Christ, because of course Christmas is the first coming of Christ, and I can see that line of expectation in the Old Testament that I ought to look at the same kind of promises that now point to the second coming. I think that's what you're saying. Yes. Hope should well up in you about the God of the Bible, about how he acts, how he fulfills his promises. I mean, you've got to think, even in the Old Testament, it never looked like his plan was actually going to come to fruition. And now we look back at it, and Paul calls it a mystery, right? Right. And it's glorious. It's a gloriously beautiful, hidden in ages past, but now revealed to us in this present time. And so we rejoice in it. But the effect of that isn't to say just, oh, God did this neat thing in the past. It's, wow, this God can accomplish whatever he sets out to do. And so when he gives us the promises for the future that he can bring us safely home, he will. He will. So is this part of why it's so important for Christians to think about the Old Testament? What does it mean for us today at Christmas? Is it an evangelistic emphasis? Maybe it is. Uh, is there other things that we should be looking at? Yeah, I would say that the same point should be pressed upon the skeptic. What you got is some undeniable prophecies that have been made that Jesus fulfills uniquely. That's a difficult problem. You know, scholars have tried to get around with that by playing with dating. Right. And doing some fun things with that, they don't accomplish much. Tell me about that. What do you mean by the dating? Ah, uh, they want to fiddle around with figuring out how certain authors in the New Testament would have just placed things in or added bits and pieces here and there, or they would have uh, written about facts after they'd happened. I see. Right? Things like that. Um, you know, most of that came from uh, strident skepticism that. I don't know if it's as popular these days as it was, I guess, back in the 1960s and those sorts of times. But quite honestly, a lot of that scholarship has fallen on deaf ears these days. I mean, it's just, it's a big mountain to climb to try to claim that these prophecies didn't come true and that Jesus didn't fulfill them. We'll be back in just a little while right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Are you joining us for the 2015 Laugh Again Christmas Tour? Well, we've just begun our cross-Canada tour with this great community event. Enjoy an evening of refreshment, inspiration, and music with our host, Phil Calloway, and guitarist, Jay Calder. 
Plus, hear from one of our great partners in ministry, Compassion Canada. Don't miss the tour happening this week in the following locations. Today, Monday, November 30th in Okotoks, Alberta at the Okotoks Evangelical Church. Wednesday, December 2nd in Winnipeg, Manitoba at Grant Memorial Baptist Church. Thursday, December 3rd in Winkler at EMMC. Friday, December 4th in Winnipeg at Eastview Community Church. Saturday, December 5th in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan at West Portal Church. And Sunday, December 5th in Brantford, Ontario at Evangel Church. All events begin at 7 p.m. and tickets are $10, which can be purchased at the local church, at the door, online at laughagain.ca, or for more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. Now when we try to understand Jesus today, which, you know, Christians do, we sometimes have these variant views of Jesus, especially in the secular culture. You know, we have a Gnostic Jesus, but the way that Jesus is portrayed in the Bible as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, he's a profoundly Jewish Jesus. Yeah. What does that mean? Does that mean anything for us? Or Well, the promises were given to Israel, right? I mean, so the story of the Bible is actually a story of God giving the promises to Abram and his seed. Christ becomes the fulfillment of all of these things. All the promises are given to Abram. A lot of the books of the New Testament are about this. Galatians and Romans are really drawing on the idea that Christ has fulfilled the promises given to Abram. And all those who by faith trust him, they become part of the community of faith and they receive the very blessings of Abram, right, which so. is amazing because I'm not Jewish and nor are you. Yeah. And yet as a Gentile, you know, I've been grafted in and I receive the promises and I never did anything to get them. Right? God did it by fulfilling his own covenant by sending his son, fully God, fully man, so that he could both stand in as my representative and he could appease the wrath of God and thereby bridge the gap between us. What you've just been telling me is, you know, again, Old Testament language, appeasing the wrath of God, standing in as my substitute. That language, I think, is taken right out of the temple, isn't it? You bet it is well. I mean, look, one of the things that I've said to some people even recently is I know that there's a temptation these days for us to view God as very friendly. And I think there's a sense in which we should, but God's friendliness is only a result of the retributive justice he brought upon his son for us, that God is a dangerous God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, says the writer of Hebrews. So in the Old Testament, what you've got is a God who is untamable, and what you've got is a system of worship that is deeply bloody, right? If you and I went to the temple those days, I mean, it's covered with blood and smells of blood. And the message of the whole thing is to say that that something is required for your sin. And that bloody sacrifice was made for us by Christ, ultimately. And that's the beauty of why he came and why he fulfilled all these promises. And So we're getting back again to this whole Old Testament background to the story of Jesus. Right. The whole thing points to him. So we, we know we've done some things out of Genesis, some out of Isaiah, but here we are in uh, the books of the law. Well, we're in the you know Leviticus and right. the whole Levitical sacrifices. The whole sacrificial system points to him. So we can't actually understand Jesus until we understand what actually happened. Right. Day. And you ought not take Jesus out of his context if you really want to understand who he is. Now, one of the titles we get for Jesus at Christmas time is the Great King. 
And of course, uh, that language of kingship also comes from another place in the Old Testament, and that's with the life of David. So how are Jesus and David connected with each other? Well, David was the great king of Israel, and Jesus sits on what we call the Davidic throne now. So he is the inheritor of that throne. I would say he's the true and better David. David, who was Israel's greatest king up to that point, Jesus actually fulfilled all the ways that David was good and more. Many of the stories of David, actually, you, you see kind of pictures of Christ and what, what it was that he was going to do later in a more fuller way, right? Defeat the giant. Uh, well, who really defeated the great giant? Pastor Jeff, when you think about the covenant that God makes with David, that David's kingdom is going to last forever and ever, um, and that David's son will sit on his throne, now it's very easy for us simply to read that and say, well, it must be Solomon. But I'm going to say that I'll bet you don't read it that way. Well, I do and I don't. Yeah, I mean, I do see it as Solomon, but I, I don't think Solomon sat on the throne forever and ever. I think that Jesus is the only one who can and will. So yes, again, this is the point where there's a near fulfillment and ultimately a far fulfillment, and Christ is always the far one. So now we have reading Christ in the Old Testament. We've been to Genesis. uh, We've been to the law. We've been to some of the stories of David. We've been to Isaiah. Are there other places that we should look? Well, you haven't mentioned the Psalms, have we? No, we haven't. So you could go through the Psalms at most places. Would you give me an example of a Psalm that you read and you'll say, wow, you know, here, I really see that. Well, I'm, I, the ones that I'm going to pick out are the ones that are expressly stated in the New Testament. Very good. Right? Let's do so that. So you get passages uh, like, like Psalm 2, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Right? So I think that that passage, I'm going to read the anointed yes. as being Jesus there. Uh, I don't so think the kings David of the earth are, ra- are raging against Jesus. Though. Right. But I don't think... That, by the way, that's exactly what in Acts 4, the disciples quote this text to try to say that, yeah, we already were told that this was going to happen when the nations were raging against the Jesus they were preaching. So that you can see this kind of habit in their part, looking back to the Old Testament and trying to draw forward saying, oh, we see now, we see now because we have this lens of Christ, the fuller fulfillment, and now we can look back and see all the seeds of it. So as a matter of fact, we should be reading our Old Testament and in the Old Testament, we ought to be finding the fulfillment not only of Christmas, but the entire life of Christ. You bet. Absolutely. Um, Let's just bring this all the way back to saying a couple of things about what's the significance of all this. Let's say I come to your church on a Sunday morning, and what am I going to find? Why is Christmas so significant for us? Is it the fulfillment of everything that we hope for, or is it the fulfillment of something? Is it a warm story that we remember about everyone's got to be born, so this is our Savior was born? Right. I would say that the incarnation actually is the, is the greatest miracle in the history of the world. That, that could be debated, right? I think resurrection's easy if you actually have a fully God, fully man. That's a mystery to me. That I, If we got into the theology of it, it's a challenge to try to figure out exactly how that works. But by incarnation, you mean? I mean Jesus becoming human, like so physical. He who was God from all of eternity right. was found clothed in human flesh. Right. Unbelievable mystery. By mystery, I don't mean like myth, like voodoo weird stuff out in the ethereal realm where we can't really believe it. I I mean, it's just inexplicable in some ways to me and sometimes affronts my sensibilities that God could be both human and divine. And yet there he is. And so when we get together at Christmas time, we, we are peering into one of the great mysteries in the history of the world, one that I actually think that we will spend all of eternity 
reveling in, probably not understanding completely, but reveling in. Yeah. Now, can I ask you whether or not this wonderful mystery of God becoming a man, did the Old Testament prophets foresee that? I think so. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're going to ask me what text in particular <laughs> that I would cite uh, in the Old Testament about God becoming a man, and some of them was, are cited by the, the New Testament writers themselves. I'm thinking about David when he said, the Lord said to my Lord, uh-huh. sit at your right hand. So Psalm 110. Yes. Uh, the early church picked up this and was trying to make sense of it. Okay, if David's the Lord, then who's the Lord that he's talking about? My Lord, who's David's Lord? And so they read Christ back into that text as well. So let's help our hearers from what we've talked about as they're getting ready for Christmas and thinking about the account again and trying to understand Jesus in the light of promise and fulfillment. What are some of the key Old Testament texts that we shouldn't miss this Christmas time? I'm trying, John, to think in my mind of passages specifically that would have to do with the birth of Christ. The ones that I would pick out would be ones that the New Testament writers would be citing. Right. We haven't mentioned Micah. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Micah speaks uh, about uh, the Christ child being born in Bethlehem. Right. And so we have just an amazing uh, also prediction there, our prophecy of the coming of Christ, which as the wise men entered into Jerusalem, you'll recall, uh, they didn't actually know where to go. And they actually talked to the theologians and the theologians said, well, he's actually going to be born in Bethlehem. Right. And not only just Bethlehem, as I understand, there were two Bethlehems. They seem to be very specific in, in the identification of where the Christ is to be born. So right. it seems to me that there was a whole history of uh, saints who looked forward to the coming of the Lord's Christ and poured over the Old Testament. And I'm wondering whether or not there's this beautiful point of fulfillment when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus into the temple and you remember that they're met by an old priest there. And he says, now let my servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. So there's that expectation that we have. Right. And I'm just wondering, how do we as believers today, because the expectation has been fulfilled, it's done. Christ has now come. What do we learn from that? What does Christmas do for us? Well, it gives us hope. Christ came the first time and he left and he promised that he would return again. I would even use the language that in the fullness of time, he will come again. So as God has given us the incarnation and the fulfillment of so many promises from the past, we look forward to the promises that will come in the days ahead. Well, Pastor Jeff, thank you so much for being my guest here today on Back to the Bible Canada. What a delight it has been just to kind of dive a bit into the scripture and gain a sense of perspective in terms of who Jesus actually is. God bless you. The first words of the Gospel of John say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As we approach another Christmas season, we're reminded of what it is we celebrate, the coming of the Redeemer. And as a ministry, it's an incredible privilege to share and proclaim this truth as we teach the Bible every day on the air, online, through Facebook, apps, print, and every medium at our disposal. As we enter the Christmas season, we also come to the end of 2015, which has been filled with so many ministry highlights. God has been so faithful to this ministry. I can't begin to tell you all about what we've been able to accomplish through all of these ministry efforts. But it's only through the support of listeners like you that we can continue to further this mission to teach God's Word across Canada. December is our most critical month of the year for raising enough funds to end 2015 and to sustain the ministry throughout 2016. So I want to ask you to prayerfully consider how you might support Back to the Bible Canada 
financially today. The goal is to raise $390,000 by December 31st. So would you join us in providing the resources to proclaim the good news this Christmas and beyond? Every dollar counts, and it's only together we can share the greatest story of all time, God's story of redemption. To donate, please visit backtothebible.ca or call us even today at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425.